Hello, thanks for checking out Covenant's podcast. Our prayer is that God uses this message to impact your life. Yeah, that is so good. So good to see all of those Covenant worship musicians. And I think, uh, wow, brought a tear to my eye. Just I miss seeing those individuals, but how that's like God seeing our worship service this morning. And I'm kind of the holdout in the big room. Uh, We've been beaming people in from uh, what I'm calling Covenant's living room. And I'm going to dart back over there for some Q&A after the sermon. Uh, But man, uh, I really sense your presence, uh, even by your absence. I've, I've asked some of our production team if we could get mannequins for each one of you. If we could get that mannequin, you could send in the clothes that you usually wear, and uh, maybe we could even get some laugh tracks and amens and uh, uh, even, uh, you know, the occasional ruffling of the crinkly paper and the peppermint or whatever uh, to assemble us together in more reality. But um, thank you for joining in. Thank you for praying. Thank you for the spiritual reality your participation uh, brings. And I'm going to begin the way we've begun our sermon, just like anchoring and rooting ourselves in what never changes. We're going to keep doing this, connecting through live stream as long as we need it. Uh, And we're rooted and anchored in who Jesus is. And so I want to put to you the question and invite you to even rise where you are in your living room. Uh, If you're listening to us in your car, don't rise, (laughs) but, but focus on this wonderful statement. It says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And together say, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. I'm gonna throw at you the second question because I just love how it, it amplifies what we just said. And it asks this of us. It says, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort. And this is what we hope to provide, what you must know to live and die in the joy of this comfort. And the answer is this, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sin and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. And I just want to say to you, every Bible study, every sermon, every worship experience really is built on on doing those three things. If it isn't doing those three things, it's something else. It's not Christian worship. It's not Christian preaching. Uh, We understand how deep our sin and misery are, how great the deliverance God has given to us, and then how we can thank God for that deliverance. So um, we're starting this series, uh, Unshackled Joy. (laughs) And we're looking at Philippians chapter one. Uh, And before I even begin there, I want you to recognize the reason we call it unshackled joy is Paul was sitting in a jail cell. In fact, I'm calling this sermon on the first two verses, jail cell cell grace. And if there was anybody who probably would have been uncomfortable being sidelined, it would have been the apostle Paul. such a contributor, always striving to strengthen, confirm, establish, and advance the gospel. And here he is, um, chained to a guard or confined to a cell. We think this is probably an imprisonment that happened in Ephesus. It's not the final imprisonment. And 
Paul is having to write this uh, in some ways similar to some of the confinement we may feel, but, but Paul couldn't have any connection really with his friends or his food. Uh, somebody uh, was telling me, they said, you know, diets are impossible during this, uh, this season. You've got to either have, give me my friends or give me my food. But if you, you can't take both of them away from me. And since we can't have our friends, a lot of us are turning to food. Well, Paul couldn't turn to food. <laughs> he was separated from friends because they didn't provide food. And yet here's what I think is happening for Paul. He's in that jail cell. And do you know, he's probably feeling somewhat the uselessness of the inactivity and the worthlessness that sometimes we feel when we're not being productive. And I think it had to strike his mind to say, hey, but you know what? There's this church that actually got started when I was literally chained in a prison. (laughs) And that church is the church at Philippi. If you know the story, it's in Acts 16. And Paul was in prison praying and singing worship songs at midnight with his friend Silas. Uh, And God sent an earthquake that burst them out of this prison. And it resulted in the conversion of the first person uh, uh, out of that jail cell, uh, the prison guard who joined a businesswoman who'd been converted before, kind of upper-class woman. Now you have a middle-class kind of ex-military tough guy who has this bureaucratic job as a jailer. He gets converted Uh, And then uh, we find a slave girl who gets converted and they form this church. And Paul writes, this church had no big, you know, systemic problems that Paul had to correct. They were sending him uh, supporters, maybe even to literally feed him, but they were sending him while he was in prison, those who were going to take care of him. Uh, And he pens this letter from prison and it is known as one of the most joyful pieces of literature in all the ancient world. And one of the most joyful letters of all the letters that we have in the New Testament. So uh, I want you to hear uh, as I read you the word of God, we're going to camp on the first two verses, but hear the scriptures this morning. Begins, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Um, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. We're going to just stop there in that opening, but I want you to see how Paul begins this letter again with this note of seeking uh, their well-being and their grace. And um, he's chained uh, or he's in prison, he's confined, and yet he's come to this place of, of ministry. I don't know how you're doing with this sense of confinement, this stay at home, uh, the losses and cessation of activity, um, but we've talked in our home of how... Uh, we probably are all passing through some of the stages of grief in this. Uh, And uh, 
I said, you know, I think all of us probably each day pass through the stages of grief. If you've heard them before, you know, they're, they're denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. And, and I was recounting at the end of the day uh, for my family, I'm blessed to have a full house at home, uh, a bustling active house. I said, you know, uh, I, I acted out on anger today when I attacked the stump in the backyard with, with an ax. Uh, and so that was my workout. That's how I express anger. Then I, uh, I did a little denial by surfing Netflix and uh, uh, just uh, shopping a little online. That's my denial. Uh, then I did a little bargaining with a little bit of self-loathing and works righteousness and penance. Uh, and then I opened a half gallon of ice cream and I indulged in depression, overeating, eating your feelings. And I think the, uh, the, the fashion statement for the fall, I'm not much in terms of knowing what fashion is coming. I just watch what Rob Chifakoyo is wearing and I try to wear something appropriate for someone 20, 30 years older. Um, but I know what fashion is coming in the fall. It's going to be stretch pants. Stretch pants are the fashion that's coming up. But we go through those stages, I think, of of anger, maybe you do it through overworking out <laughs> or denial, um, uh, you know, just denying it's going on, absorb, getting absorbed in Netflix or, or depression, uh, overeating. We go through those steps. How do you know you get to acceptance? I think acceptance is when you get to the place of saying, God, how can you use me in the situation I'm in? And I think that's what we find is the joy that is just reverberating through this letter is a joy that's accessible to us, even when we're in limitations, when we, we surrender and let God use us even as we are. And that's where I believe Paul is as he pens this letter. And, and the first thing he says, he says, Paul and Timothy. Now, Timothy is not an author of the letter. The, the whole letter is in the first person. Paul says, I remember you, I pray for you. But Paul includes him because he's, he's with him. And I think it's also a signal to the church that this letter is so complex. It's only 104 verses. It's about two and a half pages if it were typed on uh, two, uh, uh, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. But it's gonna be so rich that this letter is going to need some explanation. Uh, this letter, I think like the, the letter to the Ephesians, um, it's uh, just a little shorter than the book of Ephesians. Um, it represents probably years of sermons that Paul preached. And Timothy was gonna be one of the messengers that could bring this letter and then would make it the basis of his ministry. So Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, and he says, servants of Christ. He uses the word slave, actually. They weren't volunteers. Uh, they didn't get to choose how God was gonna use them, but they, they gladly gave themselves unconditionally to God. Uh, and so he says, we're slaves, uh, which is an incredible demotion for someone who is like the apostle Paul, went to the ultimate Ivy League theological schools, had all the credentials. He says, we're a slave of Jesus Christ. And then he says to the church, but you're saints. That seems like if Paul was an incredible demotion here uh, in accepting his role of service to call a believer in a church, a saint, especially when Paul's gonna indicate he knows this church was not without problems. Like I say, if you find a church without problems, don't join it, right? Because you'll ruin it. But Paul knows this church has some problems. Uh, they don't have systemic problems. They're one of the stronger, happier places Paul ministered, uh, but he calls them saints because of what he says next, saints in Christ Jesus. To be a saint is to be someone who is holy, not because of how you performed, but because of your status. Uh, it's uh, 
To be a saint is not a measurement of your performance. It's not, you know, a a thermometer that says, how are you doing? But it rather is the thermostat that has been set in Jesus Christ, that he satisfied what you need. So, So to be a saint is the title of everyone who is in Christ Jesus. Uh, and it's the appropriate title for us if you're in Christ Jesus. If you're uncomfortable with that, just, just practice a little bit putting saint in front of your name. Uh, I, I remember the story about a, a pastor who actually told his congregation, he was going to, in the middle of the sermon, he made them turn around. I remember when he used to shake hands and, and such. That's a distant memory now. But uh, he would say, I want you to introduce yourself as Saint so-and-so, Saint Ben, um, Saint Tanner, um, whatever your name is to say it. And there was a guy, it was a small church who just shook his head and said, uh-uh, not going to do it, not going to do it. Not gonna. And, and so finally people said, how come you won't do it? The pastor told us it's not based on us. It's based on, he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And he says, my name is Bernard. I am not going to introduce myself as Saint Bernard. Okay. Yeah. There's the laugh track, right? We need it now. Um, but here's the reality. There is nobody No matter what you've done, no matter your failures, no matter your relapses, maybe you've had some bad failures and relapses because of the pressures of this stay at home order uh, and you've done some things, you've gone some places, maybe even online, you shouldn't go. You've had some relapses. There's nothing you can do that will actually remove this status if you're in Christ Jesus. And, And so Paul writes to them as saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, And I want you to see, they're not just individuals who got saved. Although if you read Acts 16, you can find out these individuals, amazing stories of conversion. But they actually were formed into an organization called the church, really. And the way we know that is he says, I'm writing you along with those who serve as overseers and deacons. There were two areas of gifting that Paul knew were at work in the church. And one was overseeing. That's someone who's looking out for people's spiritual benefit. The, the actual word is, is episcopos, which is what the Episcopal church gets uh, its name from as those who look out for one another. And so spiritually looking out for one another, he knew there were groups of people who were set apart for that. And then there were servants or diaconoi who their job was primarily in delivering mercy uh, through deeds of mercy. And those form really uh, two uh, places where the church is organized to provide spiritual care and merciful care through deeds. And this is in the organization that Christ has in mind for his church. And so this is his long greeting, reminding him of what God had done to build up this thriving church. Uh, And it all started when Paul was chained in prison. He's chained in prison now. And then his very first word to the church is grace to you. That is, that is very instructive for us. And you'll note that there is not a, verb in this sentence. Many of the translations want to say grace be with you, but actually this is Paul's first word in every single one of his letters after the little introduction, who he is and who he's writing. It is unfailing. You find it in all the letters to the churches. You find it even in letters to churches with really serious systemic problems and faults. You find it in every single one of his personal letters um, to uh, Timothy uh, or to Titus, even to a guy named Philemon, who he was going to ask a big ask from. Uh, Every time Paul begins 
with grace. And again, there's, it's not a prayer. It's not like I'm praying for God's grace to be with you. It's not a wish, but it actually is something uh, more uniquely framed in the Bible as a conferring of a status and an empowerment. Um, it's something that we find again throughout the Bible and grace is, it's not just a doctrine. It's not a wish, it's not a prayer, it's not a doctrine. It really is an experience, an atmosphere without which nothing good can happen in terms of spiritual growth. Uh, the Bible speaks of grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, growing in grace. Grace is like the soil. Uh, if we were plants, grace would be the soil in which we grow. And again, this is not a prayer asking for something from God. It is rather a declaration of something that only God can give. Uh, and this pronouncement is something I think that borrows from what Jesus did when he commissioned the 70 to go city to city. And he says, when you go into a city, when you enter it, just say peace to this house. And, and he said, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. In fact, Jesus even said, if they don't receive you, then, then shake off even the dust from your clothes if they reject this greeting of peace, of shalom. And this pronouncement of grace, which again is Paul's first word in every letter. But do you know, um, this tells us something about our standing before God. If we are in Jesus Christ, the first thing that God wants us to understand is the basis of our relationship has been repaired on his side. And this word grace means that our relationship with God, your relationship with God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ is not based on what you've earned. It's not based on what you deserve. It's not based on what you can repay, but it has been based upon what God has done for you and for me through Jesus Christ. And the old acronym that grace means God's riches at Christ's expense is pretty good, except it lacks something. God's riches at Christ's expense, but it needs to contain, and I don't know how you'd make it an acronym, to the incredibly unworthy, <laughs> to those who deserve the opposite. And when Paul begins this uh, letter this way, he is drilling us into that reality uh, that only God can, has brought about through what Jesus Christ has sacrificed. Grace is always costly to the giver, but it is always completely free to the recipient. No strings attached. So grace is not like one of those come on, uh, you know, uh, cheap, airline flyers that say, hey, if you want to fly to Indianapolis or Orlando, it's $49.99. And then you go to try to get the ticket and they say, oh, well, those six tickets sold out. And it's actually going to be, you know, if, if you want oxygen in the plane, it's going to be $200, right? Uh, it's not one of those, you know, bait and switch. Come on. It's no grace is the basis, but it comes to us at incredible cost. Um, when I was growing up in church, I grew up in a church that basically talked about God as being very good and kind and gracious, but there was no cost to my forgiveness. We never got to the cross. We never got to sin. Uh, the Bible won't allow us to think about grace without thinking about the incredible cost that Jesus paid. And it's the central theme of the Bible from beginning to end. And you know that not only did Paul begin all of his letters this way, uh, and, and I want you just to think about that. If Paul were to be flown in to speak to us, we know what his first word to us would be. 
We know the first thing that he would want to anchor us in uh, is, is grace. Uh, have you ever heard somebody, has anyone asked you the question, have you ever heard God speak in an audible voice? I, I ask you, if, if you were to hear God speak in an audible voice, what do you think he would say to you? And here's the problem. If we let our own hearts determine what we think God would say, it may be like, hey, fix this, fix that. Here's, here's the self-improvement project you need to be embarking on. Here's my expectations you didn't fulfill. All these kind of echoes of insufficiency, of regrets, uh, our failures, our relapses, our worst things. And that's not where God starts. And if we don't know that's not where God starts, here's the reality. If we don't know that our relationship with God has been had the demands and expectations completely and uh, unilaterally on God's side met, not just part of the distance, but the whole distance. If you and I don't know that, we actually will not be able to hear anything else God has to say. Um, the, the reason I'm convinced that we don't really pray is the same reason that there are certain people, although we're all like hungry to hang out with like anybody these days, but there are certain people we don't like to hang out with. The kind of person we don't like to hang out with is somebody who thinks that, um, you know, we're ugly, boring, and they convey that they don't like us. How many of us want to spend time with someone who thinks we're ugly, boring, uh, and uh, that we're not likable? We don't spend time with someone like that. We often think of God that way, left to our guilty conscience that has not experienced the cleansing that comes at the cost of Christ's blood. When we know that God is like eager for our company, and, and grace is shorthand for saying God is so good and he actually is eager for our company. And even though we are often slow to give God our company, our audience, whenever we do, he's there, he's eager. And that's why Paul begins every single one of his letters. And you know what? He also ends all of his letters with grace. Every single one of Paul's letters, every single one of them. Uh, and do you know that the Bible, the old, the, the ending of uh, the Old Testament was a curse, but the ending of the New Testament is grace. Um, it, is, it is the last word in Revelation 22, 21 is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so grace is, it's absolutely key for being able to understand God. And, and, you know, it was a little bit of a trick question when I said, have you ever heard God speak to you in an audible voice? Because the reality is if you were listening, when I read Philippians chapter one, you heard God speak in an audible voice. It just happened to be my audible voice, but it was God's word and God's word began with grace and peace to you in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's this powerful, what you might say, he begins with the benediction of God's blessing. He is not angry with us. As Isaiah 12 says, his anger has been turned away. His anger against us was against that which would destroy us, our sin. You know, somebody who, uh, I saw somebody who was ripping, uh, of all things, mold out of their basement drywall and ripping it out, you know, with mask on and, and getting this stuff out there. To, and to say that God hates us because he removes sin from us is like saying that that guy hates his house because he's taking the mold out. No, he loves his house. He hates the threat of, of what becomes really a, a health threat in his house that which could ruin his house, absolutely not only tank its value, but make everybody in it sick. And so because he loves his house, he's taken that out. That's how God is with our sin and his sin caused Christ to go to the cross for us. 
And out the other side from that cost, God wants us to know that Jesus bore the curse so that we could receive the blessing. And so he begins saying, grace, grace, grace. Grace, again, is not just a doctrine. It is a doctrine. And, and, and again, Paul is the chief proponent of this doctrine of grace. He articulates it more clearly and radically than anybody else in the Bible. That's part of his, his role. Uh, it is a doctrine, but it can't just be a doctrine. It also is an atmosphere. Uh, it is the irreplaceable environment, atmosphere, and soil. That it, and there is no Christian life. There is no Christian life in you or in me apart from this dynamic of grace operating in our life. Everything comes out of the grace of God. Um, I love what uh, Tim Keller says in The Prodigal God. He says that he had a conversation with a woman who once said to him, this idea of free grace is scary. And he, he thought, you know, well, that's not the usual thing. People usually think like the expectations of God and how we've fallen short are what's scary. And so he said, what's so scary about unmerited free grace? And she replied, he says something like this. She says, well, it'd be a lot less scary if I was saved by my good works then there would be a limit to what God could actually ask me or put me through. I'd kind of be like a taxpayer who, you know, I have certain rights. I've played by the rule. I've worked hard. I, I've got my tax returns. I'm up to date. So now you give me my rights. There's a limit. I would have done my duty and I could deserve a certain quality of life based on what I'd done. But if it's really true that I am a sinner saved by sheer grace at God's infinite cost, then there's no limit that God has for what he can ask of me. I, I love that. Have you thought about that? Um, this free bestowal of kindness, the goodness of God, which is really uh, shorthand, grace is shorthand for all that is in the goodness of God, uh, by which he bestows his kindness on us who have no claim on his kindness. Grace always comes from a superior uh, to someone who has no hold, no claim on them. Uh, God, the exalted one, in his freedom, has shown his unmerited favor to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching downward to, to you and me, who are not just broken, but who have actually been in rebellion against him. Uh, and so the grace of God, that, that begins it. It's, it is the central theme. It is the first and last word. The first thing that God did in the garden before sin was that he blessed us. Uh, and before he gave any command, he blessed us. Before he gave the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, he says, I'm the Lord of God who brought you out of the house of bondage, out of the house of Egypt. I've redeemed you with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. Redemption always comes first. And here's the amazing thing. Um, churches or spiritual organizations or spiritual philosophies that talk about expectations and emphasize the duty, even to holy duties, they will never ever get the kind of response of the preaching of the gospel of grace. Grace is a force that when it's unleashed in your life and mine, we are in for an adventure. We are in for a journey. We are in for a wholehearted uh, kind of response. And so he says, grace to you, Again, he pronounces it because he's actually conferring something. Again, this is like a benediction. Um, 
in Numbers chapter six, God said uh, through the sons of, of Aaron, he said in number six, he says, I want you to pronounce this on the people. I want you to put my name on the people. And he gave them this blessing to put God's name on his people. The Lord bless you and keep you, lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Um, that blessing is really kind of what Paul is picking up here. It's why he begins and ends his letters here. You know, marriage counselors will sometimes say uh, to a marriage that is looking for a way to just very practically and immediately improve itself, they'll say, watch your beginnings and endings. Watch your hellos and goodbyes. Um, What are your first words to each other in the morning? What are your first uh, words to each other when you've been apart and you come together at the end of a day? What are those first words? And what are your last words? Those have incredible power for establishing the climate and the basis of the relationship. I just think that's so practical for us. If we have received grace, then our calling is really to give grace. I want to just say very practically, this time of being shut down in our homes is a time for ministering extravagant grace to each other. We, we need to watch it or we will become cranky. I was just thinking, you know, some of the uh, flukes of suburbia, like in, in our neighborhood, which I love, and I don't know whether some neighbors are watching, but like, well, our neighborhood has some, some kind of fluky things. One thing is like from 8 a.m. pretty much till 8 p.m., somebody's running their leaf blower, right? <laughs> it's just like, eh. it's, I, I, someone, after we discover a vaccine for the coronavirus, I hope someone can discover a silencer for leaf blowers, right? But, but, but I can find like being shut in. It's like, ah, and that neighbor is running their leaf blower again. Uh, we need to condition our responses by grace. We need to show grace to all of the little irritants, maybe even some large irritants. Um, it's a call for extravagant grace. You're, the way you begin, the way you end. How are you doing at that? How are you doing at giving out grace? Here's one of the, here's one of the diagnostic questions. I can give grace out to other people when I am more aware how much more desperate a recipient I am than I am a transmitter of grace. Here's the lie that my own heart will tell me. My own heart will tell me that I've got a lot of demands of giving out grace, that frankly, the hardest thing is all these people, all, all these people that I've got to forgive in my life. And that that's a big strain. Like, God, give me grace because I've got a lot of people who really need forgiveness and I need you to help me forgive. If I, am, if I am beginning to position my life that way before God, I will, I will utterly fail. The gears will not have any oil in them. They will grind and they will actually melt in the heat because when I'm thinking of what I've got to give out, what I've forgotten is how much I've been given. We are not primarily givers out of grace. We are primarily desperate recipients of grace. And so that's, that's the center piece. And I just want to say all the other blessings, peace is a comprehensive blessing. Peace is like grace, but it, it borrows from grace. The order is always grace and then peace. Because grace met the demands through a bloody cross, through what Christ was sacrificed so that we could be whole. It's why on the other side of the resurrection, Christ's first words, it seemed like he ran around to the apostles saying, peace, 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 showing them his wounds. That was grace. Then saying peace. And then out of that, what did they do? They said, like we saw Thomas last week, he says, my Lord, and my God. You see, that's that's shorthand for the whole message of the Bible is that 
The whole of the Bible is showing us what God would suffer to be in a relationship with us. And then as we gaze upon that and we prize it and estimate it to be of infinite value, then our response is my Lord and my God, I want to get serving to you. It's a whole different motivational um, reprogramming of my heart and your heart. I was reminded, and you know, I was a church organist for many years. So I, I love and know um, so many hymns, so many hymns that are never even sung, but have incredible Christian poetry to them. And I discovered when I was an organist that um, Francis Scott Key, who wrote this words to the Star Spangled Banner, pretty good words, huh? You know those words? I can't wait to hear those words sung in a ballpark again. Um, but he wrote a hymn that I think is even better than the Star Spangled Banner. And it goes this way. It says, Lord, with a glowing heart, I'd praise thee um, for the bliss your love bestows, for the pardoning grace that saved me and the peace that from it flows. I, I love those words. Pardoning grace saved me and peace from that grace flows. Every kind of blessing that you and I experience really is an outflow of the grace of God. Everything that Paul is going to say, even the course corrections and instruction that he's going to have, he does have some commands and some ask, even of this very good church. He does have some things that need correcting, but he wants to make sure that they are planted in the soil of that grace so that they can receive and process those, not as if they're trying to purchase or bargain or backdoor their way into God's favor, but as they live as those who've already received it through Christ. Uh, that is what is so revolutionary and exciting about a, a letter like this. Uh, it is a means of divine grace to us from which all of the other blessings and pieces, that, that shalom, that wholeness that flows into our life, but it can only flow into our life if the conditions have been met and they've been met in Jesus. Have you said yes to that? Have you... Um, laid down your life without condition because God met all the conditions. And now you say, God, I'm your slave. That's what Paul did. Uh, he went from somebody who was, was trying to be a bean counter of his own merit and to measure up to someone who had to lay that down. There's no book that says it more clearly than when we get into chapter three, uh, that his righteousness, he says, was not found um, through deeds of the law, but received as a gift. And because of that, he says, I'm a slave. I'm his glad slave. I willingly give up my entire life. Are you at that point where you have said that? If you've never said that, I invite you to say that now to God. I receive what Jesus Christ has earned for me on the cross, what he performed and fulfilled. And I want to yield my life back up to you and live the totality of the rest of my life that way. Have you heard that as the word of God? Have you heard that as what God would say to you right now? I am 100% confident of this, that everybody within the sound of my voice, that everybody who would hear this, that the word that God would want to lodge with your heart and your mind is that he has met all the expectations for you through Jesus Christ, that he has grace for you, that Jesus has satisfied all those demands and he calls you now to to open up your heart in response to what he has completely and fully done. That is the word he has. I want to just close with this story. It stayed with me uh, when I heard it many years ago. It was a book by Marianne Bird. And she writes uh, in uh, an article called The Whisper 
test. She says that, uh, and this is her life, that when she was a little girl, um, she was born uh, with a deformity, kind of a, a cleft palate. And when she started school, as it can be very cruel, even in elementary school, her classmates made clear to her each day how she looked, one, t- one way or another. She was a little girl with a misshapen lip, and she said a crooked nose and lopsided teeth and some garbled speech. And she says virtually in one way or another, her schoolmates would ask her, not really interested, but as a way of putting her down, what happened to your lip? And she said, I would make up a story because she says, I felt like it was even more of a shame trigger to say I was born this way than to say, oh, I I fell and I cut my face on a piece of glass. It seemed more acceptable to suffer an accident than to have been born different. And she was convinced that there was no one outside of her family. She had loving family, but she said she was convinced as a little girl with this thought that there was absolutely, it was impossible for anybody outside of her family to ever love her. And she says there was a teacher, she was, when she was in second grade, and she says, I remember her name, her name was Mrs. Leonard. And she said, she was a short, happy, sparkling lady. And she says, annually, they had a hearing test. And Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everybody in the class. And she said, finally, it was her turn. And she knew from past years, as she stood at the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at the desk would whisper something in a soft voice. This is the way they did the hearing test back then. Something like, the sky is blue. And then the child would whisper back, the sky is blue. Or do you have new shoes? And, and so she says, I was there and I was waiting for the words that God would put into her mouth. And she said, Mrs. Leonard said seven words that changed my life because in her whisper, she said, she said um, to Marianne Bird, she said, I wish you were my little girl. And she said, when she heard those words, something exploded in her heart. And now as a Christian, Marianne Bird says this, she says, I believe that this is what God in his grace says to every person who has been deformed by sin. He says, I wish you were my son. I wish you were my daughter, knowing the worst about you. I love you and I have done the best and I have done it completely to make you my child. That is the soil in which everything else grows. Let me just say this. Uh, The church isn't always everything it should be in terms of being a place of grace. Uh, The great author, Philip Yancey, who wrote a book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and then another masterpiece called Vanishing Grace. He says, I left the church for a season because there was so little grace in it. And that can be true. I think it's an area we always have to look at because it is, is the central mark of renewal in the, in the dynamic of God and the gospel and the Holy Spirit. But, but Philip Yancey happily then said this, maybe longingly said this. He says, I left the church because I didn't find enough grace in it. But he says, I came back because I couldn't find any grace anywhere else. And believers, we may do it imperfectly, but we need to pursue Again, to plant ourselves in that soil that's found in the gospel through the cost of Jesus Christ um, that has been completed. And it is the word that God would speak to us individually and to his church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. It's hard for that to actually penetrate my defenses, but he does. And when I receive it, it makes me ready to be a different person than I would be had I not been uh, affected and implanted with that reality. It is not just 
a truth. It is not just a doctrine. It is the atmosphere in which everything that is good uh, relies upon that grace for it to bloom and have fruition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the inbreaking of radical grace into our lives, into the world through Jesus Christ, but the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to everyone who will receive it. And Lord, also being the soil through which our lives are changed. Lord, uh, if there are those listening who've never received it, I pray you would make this real to them. You would take away their shame and that you would show how that has been dealt with at the cross. If there are those of us who've become cranky, irritable, nursing a grudge, resistant to some input, I pray that you would melt our hearts anew and afresh. If there's some place, Lord, where we have been either viewing others or maybe ourselves as just self-improvement projects, uh, I pray that you would change us and show us that it is, you've not just come to put a patch on an old way of thinking, but you've come to make us new. Uh, you've come to make us far different than what we could ever be by our own salvation projects. You've gone the whole way to save us and renew us. Thank you, God, this morning for showing us how great our sin and misery are, but also showing us how great the deliverance is in Jesus. May we thank you by being a people of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you don't miss any new content.